was coming over is I was like, well, it's not really so much to teach you a lesson. It's to teach you that I'm worth waiting for. Jacob is what it was coming. Oh, out is, to. is that is that why I showed up when you told me to, only to wait for 15 minutes? How does that it, it feel? Yeah, I'm surprised. It's really unpleasant. Little did I know <laughs> that making people wait my whole life. This uh, is how it felt. Now, for I mean, once, dang. we weren't on Jacob time. I don't like it, Mike. I think we need mm. to get back on Jacob time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you Easterners, always so slow with <laughs> everything. Welcome to the Voyage Podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue with your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. That's well, this one, <laughs> this one's kind of, uh, this one's kind of your baby if you want to lead us off. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is kind of my baby. You know, this is going to be, all right, so today we're going to be talking about Christ the Eternal Tao, Right. That's kind mm-hmm. of the the idea here. It's inspired by a book written by an Eastern Orthodox monk that uh, was really influential um, when I was starting to look into other forms of Christianity than uh, Protestant Christianity. And so I think the joke I can make here is that this is going to be like the most Taoist episode ever, which is to say there is no outline, <laughs> there is no plan, well, there is no there is no uh, momentum to move forward. We're all just going to kind of like zen out and kind of ruminate on where, I have a confession, Jacob. where the conversation takes us, bro. I have oh, a no. I made an outline. <laughs> I made an outline. So I do have some, <laughs> Mike, I do have some talking points. That's know. not very Taoist of you. Isn't it? That's Isn't... Uh, already. You're, you're like a Confucius to my Lao Tzu. Um, so one of the things that actually got this whole conversation going was I was surfing through Audible, right? I like to listen to a lot of audiobooks these days. Uh, and mm-hmm. I noticed one that showed up on the free to listen thing was the Tao of Pooh. Mm-hmm. Now, don't freak out, folks. Don't. We're talking about the yellow bear. Don't. Yeah. Without context. I mean, you know, it could be weird, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is that too low brow for you, Mike? <laughs> you know, you you're just... being a real rabbit right now. Let me tell you. Again, yeah, okay. the character rabbit from Winnie the Pooh. The classic by A.A. A. Milne. Um, mm-hmm. so, or yeah, so as, the... I, as I knew it, the cartoon that my little brother obsessed over when yeah, I was about Disney years older cartoon. than him. Well, there was the movie, but then they made like the TV show. Yeah, I I meant the TV show, Disney cartoon. Yeah, I was I'm familiar. I'm in a honey tree. See, that's how much that's how much Winnie the Pooh I've watched in my day, and I swear it was because of my little brother. I promise. Catchy. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, that's still like what thirty years later. I still remember those lyrics. Disney. Uh, You know what? They were good. They were. You know, now that I'm old enough to not worry about you know being not cool for liking Mm. Winnie the Pooh. 
though i don't know maybe i shouldn't speak <laughs> maybe Disney a 37 year old like, shouldn't like winnie the pooh they had a know. reboot of the the cartoon um movie disney did i think it was in like 2000 i want to say 2010 maybe or 2011 and then they yeah. also did a sort of uh a live action well and they've done like a young christopher robin movie too actually they've done a few things they since did then. well i never yeah i didn't actually check any of those out there was the one that was like ewan mcgregor right and he's yeah, playing like a grown Christopher up Christopher Robin. Robin. Did you watch yeah. that? Have you seen that? Um, I yeah, I remember watching it with my family a while ago. We we What's and we like premise? we like a lot of those. Is it like Hook? Is it like Christopher Robin goes back to like, like the hundred acre wood, and then he has to like fight whatever a huffalump <laughs> or something, you know, and remember my, uh, his childhood. My level of research for this one is a little bit lower, Jacob, since it was uh, <laughs> it was your your topic, so. No, it's been, <clears throat> yeah, that, and it's Appropriate. relatively recent, but um, yeah, it's on that one's on Disney Plus too. It, it it's, must not it's, have made a, a huge impression like, on you. It's like a nice kind of comforting, like sort of space to to play in the Hundred Acre Wood. Like, it actually kind of touches on the sort of like entering into fairy, um, fairy world, like we've sort of talked about in so many of our episodes. The themes of that movie is, does it shows for a Robin one. No, I just mean the whole Winnie the Pooh idea, right? Because oh, it's kind of sure. like it's stuffed animals, and but they, I mean, they're real to him, and they come alive, and you mm-hmm. know, that's as a child, he's entering into that, and I think it is, as an adult, sort of like, kind of reminds me of like the Mary Poppins thing too, where it's like you become Mary, a kid Mary again Poppins and enter like, into, yeah. yeah, and you become and a kid again, enter into that world. So, so I like I said, I think without going back in and and um reading over it again or watching it again. Um, I think that's what it was, but yeah, I, I'd be open to correction on that. But you know, but that's not even, I mean, that's, that's obviously like the premise that Benjamin Hoff, the author of Tao, Tao of Pooh um, uses, but that's not even like, and like you, you called me a rabbit. And so that's going to play into what we're going to talk about in a little bit too, but that's true. anyway, yeah. So evidently you do have a fairly decent memory of reading Dao Pooh because you read oh, it yeah, a couple no, years I've, back, you said, right? Um, I think I listened to the audiobook too, actually. And oh, uh, did you? yeah, it was one of those that um so it wasn't for free on Audible. I got it because uh you could check out audiobooks from the library. And so that's where I remember because mm. I, I don't own it either. So So you're like listening to it on like cassette tape in your No, no, no. It was on it, it was on driving. an app <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> it was on your app. Like it's a came library in one app. of those big plastic uh cases that like uh, pops I think it was together records, kind of thing. And I put it on the record, yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> Well, anyway, so. uh yeah, honestly, yeah, what you know, so the cartoon back in the day actually um I I was exposed to it so much that eventually it grew on me. And then it was like no longer such a hassle to watch it, even though I was older than my little brother who was doing it. Um, So you you get to revisit it as an adult when you have kids and go, go check it out. Go check it out. Um, But uh, so the Tao of Pooh was this book that was written by um, his name was what Hoff you said, or is it Hoffman? I forget. Hoff. Hoff? Yeah. 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 Um, which this guy, he must have been, I actually have no context for this person. Like he must have been someone who was making a little bit of a splash back in the 80s because he... And the book came out in 83. So yeah, it's been around. It's like making the rounds. I People, guess this would be the 40-year anniversary. Hmm, how appropriate. You know, yeah. that's why, like if you're just floating through life, bro, things just fall into place like that. Because that's how the Dell works, bro. 
Oh yeah, just going with I'm the just flow. That's throw, one of the chapters. I'm it's gonna the... throw a lot of bros out in this. I can tell because Ugh. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in that parlance. Mm. <laughs> it's just just gotta go with it, bro. Just gotta go with it. Uh, I'm gonna try not to do that. You know, yeah. I started saying bro ironically a long time ago. A long That's time it ago. Always now. starts. It, yeah, it's just like it was. It was a funny little ironic thing to say, and mm. yeah, before you know it. Like, wouldn't it, it be so funny if you started saying bro? Like, and you lived in Hawaii for a while, so maybe it was you being around all the uh, surfers or something. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Um, but uh, so I'm listening to the audiobook a couple weeks back, and I'm enjoying it because, frankly, I hadn't really revisited Taoism in any meaningful sense for had you a never heard the years. book or heard the audiobook before? Like, this was the first time you've heard it. Was I think a couple so. weeks ago? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I don't think that it was it definitely wasn't on my radar. It's one of those things where I, I might have seen it on one of those like center tables at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Right? But like uh no, I I it wasn't in my life in any meaningful sense. Um but I remember actually being in high school as I was starting to explore like different religions and things like that around the time that I was graduating and picking up the Tao Te Ching and mm just kind of being mystified by it, but in a really intriguing way, right? I think, like, uh, reading the Tao Te Ching was one of those things that, um, I don't know, might have just opened my eyes to a different way, no pun intended. Uh, okay. uh, you were on top <laughs> of, like, of that one. That's good. <laughs> doing, of of kind of, like, doing spirituality kind of thing, right? Up until that moment. So, yeah, what is the Tao? Like, when because yeah. we've used the word a couple of times, the Mm-hmm. So well, expand on, yeah, just your when you've experienced it and your background of it and stuff. Right, right. The Tao is the way, right? Mm-hmm. That's literally what it means. It means the way. Um, and so I think that we we briefly touched on that when we were talking about um, the Mandalorian episodes. We were talking yeah. about the way and things like that. Um, yeah, a total throwback to this idea that's introduced in Taoism, right? Lao Tzu, he was the quasi-mythical founder of this school of thought. He was operating in an era around the same time as Confucius. Um, And this Mm -hmm. all would have been taking place, if I'm not mistaken, this is roughly um, 25, well, like 500 BC, so about 2,500 years ago. Maybe Mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong on that. That's just off the top of my head. But I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, And so whereas Confucianism... And Confucius, who was a court magistrate guy, um, that was very much about formality. That was very much about the social order. It was very much about the hierarchy, hierarchy as such, honestly, um, in the order of being and things like that and the proper relationships that everyone has, which, to be perfectly honest, I'm all about all of that as well. Um, I think that's a, a really huge element of how... Christianity, classical Christianity, and Christendom as such um, organized and, and kind of was led by the Spirit into being as it's, you know, continued to grow and things like that within history. Yeah. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with that as such. But nevertheless, Lao Tzu emerges as a counterpoint to that. And he's basically the total opposite. So if Confucius is like the uppity bureaucrat, then Lao Tzu mm-hmm. is the, um, what would you say, the person who uh, is like a total hippie out in the woods, 
uh, yeah. you know, quit ruining my vibes, man, you know, kind well, of it's thing. It's almost like you get the sense that, yeah, one is very, um, you know, you could almost say like politically minded, not political in the sense of like political parties, but more like the body politic, like, like Aristotle acting almost, in the, yeah. yeah. And then, um, whereas Lao Tzu is the, like you kind of said, the more kind of hippie, like out in the wilderness, almost like prophetic figure or whatever. And um, he is very much like a prophetic figure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, so, and yeah, oh, go on. Oh, no, go on. Well, no, no I was about so to say, you have, <laughs> you have the courtier and then you have the prophet out in the woods kind of thing. But what were you yeah. going to say? Well, and um, so it's discovering this way. And I didn't want to, I don't want to say that one was practical and that one was more like abstract. Cause I think both of them would be described depending on what perspective you're coming from as practical. It's just, what do you mean by practical? Right. One of them is practical in the sense of, like you said, the bureaucratic, like, how to almost like how to make um, win friends and make progress or whatever. Whereas the other one is how <laughs> to actually like, progress. yeah. Whereas the other one like, is how to influence people like that book. How yeah. To, that's, like, that's honestly what I was grasping at. And I, I just yeah, kind of no, I can't, messed up I can't on the name title either, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, win friends and influence people. Whereas the other one is more the kind of like how to um, expand your mind or become this, you know, better version of yourself, so to speak. And sure. So in a well, sense, they're of. both practical, right? But yeah, I would say um, practical. That's an interesting word. I don't think I've ever heard anyone like apply the word practical to Taoism, and I don't mean mm. that in like a mean spirited way. I don't. Um, my my interpretation of Taoism, and I, I'm not some kind of like pristine Taoist monk guy. So take this as a grain of salt. I am just some Western dude who was impressed by it. Um, well, and that's all the Tao of Pooh was, is some Western dude who was impressed by it and uh, found <laughs> I think that he probably took it a little bit more seriously than I did. But, Western analog, but... Yeah, well, and that was... Put a pin in that, we'll get to that. But, like, Taoism uh, okay. as such is about... <clears throat> it's it's about effortlessness. Taoism mm. is about um, going with the flow of life and not putting too much burden on yourself for being this way or that way, but simply existing, Right. Now, the problem yeah. is, is what I just said makes it sound like it's total amoral, kind of anarchic, kind of... Um, like a total retreat uh, from Yeah, life, retreat, retreat from, from, from sociability as such, right? And so mm. what's hard about trying to pin down Taoism and, and describe it in a nutshell is that that's not at all what Taoism is, is trying to achieve. And so Taoism is not a licentiousness. Taoism is not a get out of jail free card to be antisocial and things like that. What Taoism mm -hmm. is trying to do is remove anxiety from people by putting them in the context of, you know, nature and life goes about its way. And in doing that, everything falls into place. Yeah, I Everything think harmony would be harmony would Harmony's be a great, great sort of like word to describe the kind of the outlook or the the mentality, right? Is, right? is what how do you put yourself in a position to be the most harmonious with the life you know around you or the world around you? And so and we'll kind of get into this when we get into some of the chapters or some of the different things that are said in in the Tao of Pooh. Um but maybe well um before we do that what about, because one of the things that definitely resonates, not just with this as like a, I guess, what'd you say, pop culture, like phenomenon or how this resonates with pop culture, but how does it resonate with Christianity as well? Because you see 
the element of the Tao sort of in, not incorporated into in Christianity, or you could say runs parallel to Christianity, because um, there is some overlapping space. And so we can well, kind of get into that too. Let me, yeah, let me uh, rewind a little bit. Uh, so a little bit later on in life, I'm, so I I started to casually explore just other religious traditions um, in my early 20s, right? Not practicing them, but just exploring what other religions had to say and things like that. Mm. And Taoism was one that I really appreciated. Um, it was just different. It was, I was such an analytical mind uh, back then that Taoism was a challenge to that. And it was just interesting to kind of opened up the world a little bit. So it turns out there is a Eastern Orthodox monk uh, within America. His name was Father Seraphim Rose. And he was a really, really influential um, Orthodox person in the 70s and 80s, basically. Um, he started a monastery out in California. Uh, but prior to becoming an Eastern Orthodox monk, he had been a dedicated Taoist disciple of a really, really, uh, I guess, uh, erudite Taoist teacher. Uh, his name started with a G. I, you know, again, as is my want, did not prepare for this at all. Um, I think it was like Genshin or Genji or something like that. But anyway, I'm just going to refer to him as okay. his teacher. Um, yeah. But, uh, and he basically laid a lot of foundation for... Uh, Father Seraphim Robes eventual trajectory into Eastern Orthodoxy, ironically enough. And so yeah. what's really interesting about it is that you have a, a Eastern um, mystical tradition with a American disciple, right? And somehow mm -hmm. that American disciple ends up finding mystical Christianity and dedicating himself to that in a very rigorous way. Um, yeah. Father Seraphim Rose is uh, really quite a traditional voice within the Orthodox Church um, and really inspirational for a lot of people, myself included. Mm -hmm. And so he had a um, son in the faith, a, you know, spiritual disciple who, um, Father Damascene, Hieromonk, Hieromonk Damascene. Who wrote, uh, who wrote the, the Eternal Tao. Yeah. So yeah. he <clears throat> was a disciple of Father Seraphim Rose. He wrote this book, Christ the Eternal Tao. And so when I saw this book, Christ the Eternal Tao, it immediately caught my attention because I had been, um, I had really enjoyed a lot of like Taoist tenets and things like that. And so I decided to pick up this book. A, it gives a really, really great biography of Father Seraphim Rose. In a lot of ways, it's kind of dedicated to uh, his spiritual father, Father Seraphim. Um, and yeah. it gives his history. And then it goes into um, a, a basically just comparison between the basic tenets of Taoism and the basic tenets of Christianity as it understands in Christ. And it well, makes yeah, showing that, the, that crossover, that overlapping that we're going to get well, into too. It makes the claim that Christ is the Tao, is mm -hmm. the way. Um, and the Tao Te Ching, we didn't you know, actually say this yet. The Tao Te Ching means the book of the way and its power or the book of the power of the way depending upon how mm -hmm. you want to translate it. So the, the Tao, T-A-O, but it has a D sound. Um, and yeah. Day, T-E, and then Ching. That, that's, it's pretty phonetic right there. Um, 
the the power the day is equated to grace and so um in that translation in that interpretation you have christ who is the way and then his power is the grace that is brought through to us through the holy spirit and through the church and all that stuff now what's immediately going to be you know i think like a traditional taoist um there's different schools of Taoism, and so some of those schools actually are quite ritualistic, from what I understand. Uh-huh. And then there's kind of Taoism as a philosophy as such, and that type of philosophical Taoism is going to be completely unencumbered by any type of, um, really any type of uh, whatever mandate at all, I would assume, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't claim to be a super, you know, professional or, or expert on this, but like, because the very notion of Taoism, I'll give you a really, really good parable. Um, well, actually, I, we'll see if I remember this really good parable. Okay. But basically, <laughs> the uh, Lao Tzu, I'm, back he, the, you know, I'm going back to the chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, he goes, now. you have, I don't know if it's Lao Tzu or if it's maybe one of Lao Tzu's disciples, right? Um, but he's walking along, he's on a journey or whatever, and he comes to a river. And long story short, instead of trying to figure out how to get over the river, he takes the river as a sign that he's like reached his destination. And so he just like sits and he's like, okay, well, this must be where I'm supposed to stop because I have no way of Hmm. getting over the river. So I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Right. Yeah. That in a nutshell gives you an idea of kind of like what Taoism kind of puts you in the mindset for where it's like, don't quit. There's a, there's another kind of phrase associated with Taoism. Let's see if I'll if I don't butcher this one too. It's like quit trying, quit trying to quit trying. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> quit trying, quit quitting, quit quitting to tr- quit trying to quit trying or something like that. Yeah. So if you take those three statements like together, it, it gives you the sense of like, well, how do I take any action at all, right? Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to maneuver with Quit. that? What type of guidance is that? And yeah, the basic idea is, um, it's like you're already trying too hard. Mm. Like, don't worry about it. Just well, you, you know, know and you know what's right, like, you know what's wrong. Go ahead and do that, and 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 don't worry about it too much. And almost to almost to try to like redeem that in some way, there is a virtue of not passivity, because on the surface that that feels very much like it comes just pure across passivity, as super, especially which, to the Western <clears> mind. Well, Taoism yeah, and, comes across as the most illogical, passive, uh, almost infuriating, but, almost like, what are you talking about? You have to we do, do have, something in life. We do know? have a model for this because we would, we would refer to this as, um, as long as it comes from a place of humility and charity, but we have the model of the Theotokos as one who is receptive and docile. And so they, so monks will look, monks and priests and religious sisters will look to her as a model of receptivity for the grace of God, for the Holy Spirit, whether we're talking the Annunciation, um, but also uh, her role in um, leading up to Pentecost as well, as being that one who is receptive to the Holy Spirit, whether it's at the conception of Jesus or at the, in a sense, conception of the church at Pentecost too. That's actually, well, and so one of the things that I'll say, since we're in this kind of like Eastern context for today's conversation, is uh, early on, what I kind of realized when I was thinking about the Theotokos, when I was thinking about um, 
you know, how to understand Mary, right? Because I'm coming from a Protestant background. I'm coming from a tradition that uh, grapples, doesn't quite understand the big to-do when it comes to Mary. And one of the things, for better or for worse, right, take most of what I say with a grain of salt, but um, was that I realized that Mary isn't isn't God. She's not a replacement for Jesus. She's not a, um, she's not Jesus, right? And there's no concern there. But in some sense, what Mary is within the context of the Christian story is something similar to what like the Buddha is in the context of Buddhism. Because in Mm -hmm. Buddhism, you know, the, the path is not like Buddha per se. The the path is Nirvana. You're trying to get to this place of like eminent peace and what Buddha is, who Buddha is as a person is the human figure, the the not divine human figure that opened up the path to nirvana yeah. by walking it himself first. And there's a lot of parallels with the well, Theotokos. And see, that and that's context. the thing is so many people when when they want to like conflate all the or syncretize all the religions, is they'll just compare everyone to Jesus because while well, Jesus is the main figure for Christianity and Buddha is the main figure for Buddhism and you know Muhammad is the main figure for Islam, even though you're actually misunderstanding all three of those faiths because for one, Christians believe something fundamentally different about who Jesus is and Muslims believe something fundamentally different about who Muhammad is and Buddhists believe, but it's also like, so if I'm somebody from a Christian standpoint trying to understand Islam, I have to understand who Muhammad is from the Muslim perspective. I have to understand who the Buddha is from the Buddhist perspective. And then on the flip side, they have to see not just who Jesus is, but like you said, the closer parallel is actually Mary because she becomes that human person, not the divine person with a human nature, but the human person in terms of receptivity to God's grace, receptivity in terms of and who that's opens where we the way from. for everybody else, she, who yeah. open, who lays the who lays the foundation literally, right? Because she gives her flesh to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who is the the origin story for Jesus, uh, the, you know, in his human nature, anyway. Um, and so and so she's she is kind of like the Eastern Gate, right? We we refer yeah. to her as such sometimes. Um, yeah, the, you know, yeah, the, the a, a kind of gate, gate from the Old Testament. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, let's hear. I'm bringing that. I'm bringing up who Mary is in that regard because you were talking about how she is this example of kind of like passivity that actually affects results. Right? Well, so yeah, passivity, we wouldn't use the word passivity. We use receptivity or docility, right? that you're, mm-hmm. you're teachable, that you are receptive to, you know, the, the way or the work that God wants to do in you, which God eventually does work through her, whether we're talking, bringing Jesus into the world or being that messenger to Elizabeth and being that companion to Elizabeth, being the, um, the one who institutes Jesus's ministry at the wedding at Cana. And then the one who in a sense ushers in the Holy spirit at Pentecost, right? Bringing about what God's plan for the church. Well, and that's exactly it, because what Taoism ultimately is trying to get a person to do is to empty themselves out so that they can naturally be used for, like, the good, the way, the Tao, right? In in their context, the Tao is this harmonious, natural order. And so what happens is we we fill ourselves up with all kinds of distractions, all kinds of... Um, you know, demands or burdens or whatever you want to say, um, passions, to use good Christian language, um, that 
prevents us from being usable by God, by the way, by Christ, right? So the parallels actually become really, really apparent once you start realizing that what Christianity as a path, as a way, and let's not forget that Christianity, before it was referred to as Christianity, was simply referred to as the way. Mm-hmm. That's just what they, that's just, it's just the way. And Christ himself calls himself the way, right? And yeah. so there's reasons why, you know, the Christ, the eternal Tao is not a syncretistic, syncretistic text. I, it looks like it. I'll be the first to admit that it looks like it. If you're just someone who's like going through like the bookstore and you see it on a shelf, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. some weirdo tried to like merge Christianity and Taoism or something like that. And honestly, like like a lot of what we do on this show on the surface could appear that way as if we're trying to like just say, oh, well, Christianity is just like the MCU or Christianity is just like the ancient Greek myths because we're finding the parallels. But as you, I think, are are kind of getting into, and maybe I cut you off a little bit, is that these are examples of what St. Justin Martyr calls the seeds of the word. And so Christians can look at the Tao or Taoism and say that was just as much a seed of the word as go back to remember when we were talking about the death of Superman and the corn king. And it's like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien saw those as seeds of the word. And in the early Christians, they saw, right, the St. Paul saw the poets and the ancient Greek myths when he was talking on Mars Hill as seeds of the word as well. Now, he didn't use the phrase seeds of the word. That's from St. Justin Martyr. But who was St. Justin Martyr? He was a pagan philosopher who converts to Christianity precisely Mm -hmm. because he saw those same seeds and saw them growing into the fruition of Jesus Christ. Well, and and so when we say that God is the God of everything, right? Uh, You know, it, it is to say that Christ is the fulfillment not just of the Old Testament Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. Christ is the fulfillment of all of all religions. Christ mm-hmm. is the fulfillment of all paganism. You know, what Justin Martyr saw was that Christ and Christianity, the way, um, as he would have probably understood it, you know, at the time he was writing, was what pagan philosophy was trying to get at. Anything at that root. was true in pagan philosophy, anything that was true yeah, was, in Greek mythology, anything true in the Tao... And so fulfilled. Yeah. What you have are some really, I can't stress this enough, hyper traditionalist um, Eastern Orthodox monks, right? I mean, these are people who are not syncretistic. They they are the furthest thing from it, but they themselves have created both Father Seraphim Rose and his disciple Haramonk Dimasine have um, basically produced this book that points out the uh, what Lao Tzu, the figure of Lao Tzu and his disciples, were looking for when trying to define the way, when trying to practice the way, when they were trying to follow the way. Um, Hiram McDamascene claims that Christ is the way they were trying to find. Christ mm-hmm. is the way that is the ultimate embodiments of like this, this kind of cosmic way that Taoism refers to. Um, let me share. Well, I was about to say I could because the first chapter, the Tao Te Ching, is it's a hundred and is it one hundred and fifty chapters? I should really prepare for these sometimes. 
Um, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a, it's a number of chapters. Right. Um, and, but they come in different lengths, right? Uh, they come in all shapes and sizes, but the very first chapter of the Tao Te Ching, um, is almost like a synopsis of the entire book. Right. And so, I don't know, maybe just for funsies, I'll go ahead. I Googled it just so I could um, read it. Well, and before we get there, too, so the, another um, another uh, example of this sort of Christian crossover, because one of the you know most, most popular examples of a Christian writer, speaker in the last hundred years has, was, has been C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was very much a, one of the images that he did use not, I mean, not so much when he was discovering, maybe rediscovering Christianity in his adulthood, was he refers to it as a Tao as well. Um, and we were talking mm. about this off the air or beforehand that I'm, I'm pretty sure I see him use that expression in mere Christianity as well as abolition of Yeah, man. I think we're he both does. Pretty, I think it's yeah, in both, I think he but uses that definitely in the early abolition chapters. of man. Yeah, when he's talking about, because he, he is equating it with like, you know, the um, kind of natural law right yep uh, yeah within the christian context so you have this um, idea that um the knowledge a partial knowledge of god or incomplete knowledge of god and god's will is knowable through the natural world and through our natural um human reason human faculties and so you have all this like well it's part of our human nature we can grasp at some of these things which goes back to when you're talking about christ the eternal Tao. the um father seraphim higher monk damascene they recognize that too that just because the Lao Tzu had this human nature, the same human nature that a baptized person has, they can recognize, maybe incompletely, maybe imperfectly, that there are elements to, you know, the revealed way of Jesus and and the church. Absolutely. And so what Christianity teaches is that, you know, we are sin, our human nature is still intact, but it's been corrupted with sin. Um, And what is natural, what is instinctual, what is native to us is still there, but it's clouded, right? And so, um, you know, Taoism is, is going to refer to, like, natural humanity as the thing that's unclouded by all the crud that we, you know, heap upon ourselves, which is the sin within Christianity, right? Um, Christ is the embodiment because at the, end of, at the end of the day, being made in the image of God is what that natural humanity looks like, right? And so Christ is the God that we're made in the image of, right? So he is the way. Um, and then when you start to get into this idea of like the power of the way, the power of God, mm. for the Christian, that that is what grace is, right? So this all gets kind of like elucidated elucidated um in that christ the eternal Tao book right mm. and then he has all 500 really, pages of it <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think it's like that was, thick but no there's a lot of pictures too i know there's a lot um I, you actually i was able to find the pdf online so i because I, I know they I, have I really pretty borrowing it yeah before because we we I, talked about doing this episode like a month or two ago right and they said oh hey yeah, let me let me that book next time we see each other and that was uh how many months ago <laughs> yeah when, when did we see each other um but uh it's actually got really since you mentioned the pictures it has really really pretty uh commissioned artwork from a native chinese artist of images from the gospels and so yeah. you have uh images of like christ in the boat right but it's done in that kind of like classical Chinese 
um, minimalist way. It's very pretty. No, um, and it's, it's good for, yeah, it's similar to icons. It's good for reflection and contemplation um, because it does strike you as new or different than probably what we're used to seeing in terms of sacred art. It does, yeah. Um, I remember being in a, it was actually an icon working class and it was for a bunch of people um, that were kind of new um, and kind of outside the tradition of painting icons. And so people that were entering in that class came to it from different kind of like levels of familiarity with iconography and all that type of thing. And some of the examples that were being shown as we were like, you know, going through some PowerPoints prior to actually doing the classes and things like that is uh, just Christian art from around the world throughout all the ages. And one of those things was the uh, Book of Kells with Christ. There's a really famous image of Christ, um, illuminated manuscript style in the Book of Kells. Um, mm. But he's got blonde hair and blue eyes, right? Mm. And there were some people who kind of took offense at that. They're like, oh, you know, he wasn't blonde haired and blue eyed, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, but, you know, Irish people in 400 AD weren't worried about what Jesus looked like. They were worried about communicating the truth of Christ to the people mm. that were receiving Christ, right? And so there's other examples in, you know, Chinese art where you have Jesus like in the lotus flower, right? I don't know if I've mm. ever seen an image of him doing like the lotus position type thing, but like oh, still it's him. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a little too far, but like, uh, but there is him and he's like, you know, standing in the lowest flower because the lotus flower is uh, the symbol of wisdom in the East, mm. right? And so the way that um, imagery, you know, Christianity has a tradition of redeeming the culture of peoples, right? Um, and so when you see images that are like they're depicted in this Christ the Eternal Tao book, um, you know, no one should be surprised by that. I mean, they might be surprised just because they're so unused to it, but really, I, I think they're they're very beautiful um, to look mm. at. But um, anyway, most of the book is basically a chunk of it is just the life of Father Seraphim Rose, and then a chunk of it is kind of like an essay on pointing out like, you know, the parallels that Lao Tzu was trying to achieve. You know, Hiram Monk Damson mm. goes so far as to say that. Lao Tzu uh, is, is the person on the earth closest to achieving the truth outside of God's rev revelation, outside of like yeah. God coming down and, and actually like helping humans figure it out. You have you had an some individual... church fathers who said similar things about like Plato and Socrates too. That, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. because there are some people, you know, and Lao Tzu is a, a kind of like a, he, he is like a prophet figure, frankly, mm. um, you know, really explicitly so. Uh, so anyway, most of that book is um, actually kind of a poetic theological, like theology book, where it's it's actually just going through concepts like the Trinity and the Incarnation and Christology and all that stuff. But it's but it's writing about it poetically, and it's writing mm -hmm. about it in a way that kind of imitates how the Tao Te Ching um, reads. In other words, kind of like. <laughs> kind of like mystically whatever yeah it's very poetic right um but anyway it was a very influential book for me when i was um leaving protestantism not just because i had this kind of uh accidental attraction to kind of eastern woo woo but um it's it broke down a lot of theology it broke down yeah 
the life of a a saintly monk. You know, it, it well, showed me ways of. It was sort of the things. spoonful of sugar that helped the kind of like deeper, more classical nice. theology go down because that's what kind of helps it, right? I mean, in the same way that absolutely, like oftentimes, you know, we'll sometimes complain about how a certain political agenda is sort of like snuck into some piece of artwork or some as if like every piece of artwork doesn't have some deeper idea or some deeper element now where when it becomes sort of hackneyed is when it's super obvious or not just that it's like a political position you don't like but when they're not even trying at the art aspect of it and like Mm -hmm. what you were saying is you have this in many in many ways or to some minds not super attractive like deep whether it's um eastern christian theology or or catholic theology or whatever like if you treat gave just somebody a catholic theology textbook about the trinity or about the incarnation or whatever no one's going to read a 500 page textbook but when it's sort of um presented in this like you kind of said poetic pack package or presented as um well a- according to this way that's what, in a sense, made the um, more Eastern Christian theology like more palatable to, like you said, your um, you're coming from this kind of like more modern Protestant uh, taste, kind of analytical, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, real, real kind of heady and things like that. Mm. Um, your Kantian kind of approach to, knowledge yeah, and stuff. pretty much, and, pretty much, definitely so. an inheritor of of kind of later Western tradition. Let's just say that. Um, so anyway, a lot of that was all just kind of laying out why I, why I picked up the Tao of Pooh <laughs> to begin yeah. with. Right. Um, but I thought that was really charming. It's really quite short. So the tagline from, from the book is while Eeyore frets and Piglet hesitates and Rabbit calculates and Owl pontificates, Pooh just is. Yeah, I mean that kind of sums it up in a nutshell, right? Ain't that and then, just like, the way? Yeah, <laughs> it's really quite good. And on seat, so Hoff does a really good job of introducing people to the concepts of Taoism in a way that's pretty palatable using these characters. And I like how you brought up at the beginning of the conversation that it is the Hundred Acre Wood is kind of like a fairy land, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it is very much like this kind of fairy tale type thing going on, um, and so what these different characters do honestly it it opened up my eyes to a level of depth to the whole winnie the pooh kind of like mythology (laughs) that Mm -hmm. i hadn't really appreciated despite how much time i spent with it in my childhood um yeah but uh yeah so he gives all kinds of examples of and it's totally true if you're familiar at all with how winnie the pooh they're almost like the characters are supposed to be archetypes you know they are they're they're and and who himself really is, he's just a dude who's just kind of floating around things and like, and it all just works out. Just um, vibing, as the kids say. Yeah, he's I just think. vibing. He's just, <laughs> he's just chilling. And uh, I'll give credit where credit's due to that uh, author because he, I think he does a good job um, giving voice to the characters as he's writing them. Um, you know, he addresses as he's talking, he treats the characters like um, they're like meta. They're engaged with him, the author. And so mm. he'll, Pooh will talk to him within the confines of the book, right? Um, and they'll dialogue with each other. 
um, as he's writing, which again, I, I think is taken from the actual, is that true? Is that actually in the actual AA Milne stories? Cause I used to, I actually had a version of those stories way back in the day, but it's been probably like 25 years <laughs> since I read yeah. those. So I might be making that up. Oh, you know what it is? It's the Disney movie that you were talking about. The Disney movie Pooh addresses the narrator. Oh, like a breaks a fourth wall kind of it thing. Break, he breaks the fourth yeah. wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um in the uh in the book, the Hoff book, he has a dialogue about Taoism and things like that. And mm. it, it feels true to the character. So it's pretty good. Actually, um, if anything, you know, that movie came out, like I said, I think around 2010, they probably would have been influenced by Hoff's book, The Tao of Pooh, when kind of making that movie. So it's actually tail wagging the dog a little bit. I wonder. Because that movie that came out much later. Whereas, have yeah, you read Tao any of the A.A. Milne 83. stuff? I mean, it's one of those, I, I maybe I can't really remember. Like, yeah, it's one, I don't it's, either. And anything that I remember about Winnie the Pooh is kind of like you. It's probably more from the um, cartoon series. Uh, yeah, that we right. had or watched from the early nineties than it would have been from, yeah, the actual books hmm. too. Um, but anyway, so know, some of the themes that, and we've kind of discussed some of the themes just cause you were talking about the, the Tao Te Ching um, receptivity. Okay. So that, and use the, the phrase uncarved block. Is that cause I, I know he yeah, uses that in the, yeah. Tao of the uncarved block um, for sure. And uh, then simplicity which very much you see present and he contrasts that with the, the quote unquote wisdom of owl. Right. And we already right. see that cause owl pontificates and it's a very kind of pompous attitude or pompous character. Um, which again, it's kind of playing yeah, with the idea of a that, stereotypical academic, right? Ivory yeah, tower yeah. academic guy, which again, I speak as someone who in another life could have been that guy. Right. Um, mm. you know, by the grace of God, I ended up being me for better or for worse, um, <laughs> you know, probably for my repentance. Right. Um, but yeah, I could have been a snooty ivory tower intellectual. Um, we you can know. tell <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, um, uh, and then going with the flow is something we've already talked, but yeah, that just sort of like, and again, passivity makes it have a negative connotation. And maybe the whole point is rethinking passivity, not in a negative light. Uh, but then the last one too, I think is interesting. And it's one of those ones where um, it kind of speaks to the idea that all of these sort of like pre-Christian prophets, like outside of revelation, uh, whether we're talking Socrates or we're talking um, Lao Tzu is they, they don't have the grasp on fallen human nature in the same way that Judeo Christianity does, right? Yeah. They don't have the fall story to the same, they don't have the recognition of the fall in the same way that the, um, you know, the, Moses or the the Jewish tradition and then obviously the Christian tradition have. And so listening to the inner voice or the conscience, which in one sense, like that is one of the most like modern virtues is be true to yourself or listen to, you know, that inner voice, listen to that, like listen to that person inside of you telling you the right thing. And that's where maybe the biggest contrast is between that and um, Judeo-Christianity is, well, that, that heart is, can sometimes betray you. That heart is, you know, not necessarily the thing to listen yeah. to. Yeah, I no, I I think it's actually really important for you to bring this up because um, the the reality is is you can take what Taoism, what Lao Tzu is writing in this book, 
and really use it for evil, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. I think that what we have in, you know, modern America is a lot of attention being paid on just like doing you, dude. You know, just going mm-hmm. with your flow, just finding well, out and yeah, what your being voice in, is. Like living like in the that. moment, you only live once, like all that kind of yeah. like and superficially. Yeah, and and not even unfairly. I like I think that people can read the Dao Te Ching and get that get that feel from it, get that vibe mm-hmm. from it, right? Um, I think that would be reading American, modern American culture well, onto it's, what type it's like, of idea Lao Tzu was actually trying you, to convey 2,500 like years once ago. Once you discover the way, you still have to choose. Is somebody else the way, the truth, and the life, or are you the way, the truth, and the life? And it's like you still have that choice once you see that there's a way. Well, uh, if I was trying to condense what I would say to someone who was just kind of like looking at Taoism and using it as uh, an excuse to just like kind of like not try, <laughs> not try yeah. to be a good person, let's say, um, I would say that what Taoism fundamentally is asking you to do is like empty yourself of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so Taoism is not saying, oh, do you like shoving food down your face 24-7? Just like do that all the time. Like yeah. that's not what Taoism is telling you to do. Taoism is telling you to remove the passions from you, remove all the things that fill you up so that you can't hear or so that you can't see, right? Like, And so it, it's very much, I mean, if you want to get into scriptural language, um, to help understand how I perceive this within my Christian context, is you can go to things like um, Elijah finding God in the stillness instead of like the fury, you know, like uh, yeah. Uh, you can go to things like Christ saying, "Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself." Mm-hmm. Or when Christ says, "Let the children come," because you need to be like a child in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Um. When you hear uh, St. Paul talk about renewing your mind and not being beholden to the things of this world, right? Pretty pretty much any time in the New Testament when we're talking about the world, right, as like a proper noun, we're referring to all the junk that plugs up our ears and like blinds us um, Mm. so that we can't experience God. We can't experience what God would have us be. You know, at earlier conversations, we've talked about how, in my opinion, saints are people who are almost running on instinct because they have successfully cleansed themselves from all the distractions or all the falsehoods that cause us to make poor decisions based upon this kind of corrupted thinking, corrupted nature that we have. If you can remove all of that from yourself and you're back to just being the image of God and just being like God, then you're you're absolutely free. You're absolutely free, and everything you do is good. Everything you do is um, for the benefit of others and for the glory well, of yeah, God. Yeah, just a natural emanation of the grace that's already exuding from you. Absolutely. I mean, because uh, that's, that's a, a common image you'll sometimes see when it comes to um, uh, the grace of the saints is, well, God is continually pouring out his grace through, through the Theotokos, right? And the idea is that he's poured it all completely into the person of Mary, and then it's overflowing, it's spilling out, and you're collecting it in your, you know, the, the cup of your soul. And it's not a matter of if it's going to be filled up, it's how big is the cup. 
And right. so the idea is, you know, to the degree that you are, are open to, to receive you're receptive to that grace, right. And you're cooperating with it. That's in a sense, it's not that God's ever going to hold back. And so it's just a matter of, you know, how much is, how, how, um, how big is the cup that's going to be filled up? Right. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I don't have too much more to say, um, about it. We could, we didn't cover the, the Tao Pu too much, but honestly, it's more no. of like a philosophical treatise. And so it's hard to, um, you know, talk too much about it. It's more like, it's a good book. It's really easy to read. Go check it out well, if you want an idea of how well, to engage I was, with you know, We kind of, bit, we started to talk about this question a little bit. I think it is worthwhile to just be like, why is the Tao of Pooh? Because it was a bestseller. Um, and it is still one of those ones that that's in print. It's 40 years later, uh, um, coming up on the 40th anniversary. Actually, it's the, the last week of July. So I thought we could um, post this, like we could post this okay. the week of the 40th anniversary. But uh, that means you have to, you can't just be all, you know, like go with the flow about editing it, Jacob. So You know what? It's going to work out, Mike. It's all yeah. just going to work out. Okay. We'll I ain't bother. even worried about it. Uh, oh, bother. Uh, <laughs> oh, bother. So I'm the uncarved wood, man. Why, why is it so attractive? Or why was it so attractive? Or why is it maybe still so attractive to modern Westerners? And so then how can it, just like the Tao Te Ching was um, taken as a way to bring some of these people into Christianity, like Higher Monk Damascene, Seraphim Rose. Uh, how can the Tao of Pooh be used as a way to maybe bring somebody into uh, Christianity, right? Into the the Tao of Jesus. Well, but you know, so, why I'm, is it so attractive? First, that was the first question. Why yeah, is it so attractive well, I, honestly, I think that so. Again, it, it kind of reiterates a little bit. Like, I, I think a lot of people might find Taoism attractive because it doesn't expect anything of them. Yeah, <laughs> it just tells them to like well, just chill. But that's, uh, and so, maybe that's something worth exploring. Is like, why is that the thing that we're so desperate for? Is somebody yeah. who's not demanding well, that's a fair enough point? Like, it's almost like treating people as transactions actually dehumanizes us, and so we're looking for something that doesn't make that same sort of demand. You know? Well, we're, it's such a rat race, right? Like mm -hmm. life is such a rat race. Life is such a, um, constant effort, constant struggle. Right. Um, another thing that Christ says, um, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of flows into the kind of general feel before I think where Taoism is coming from kind of thing. Cause he's a, he owns nothing. He, you know, he, he just travels around. He accepts the generosity of others. Jesus was someone who was at total harmony with like the world around him kind of thing. Um, and he says, this is an easy burden. You know, even though we know the anguish and suffering that he's going to um, actually undergo, right? And we know that like he didn't like it. We know that he wept in the garden, but he also yeah. like... His yoke was the cross, kind of right? right? So that's the ironic thing is um, his yoke was easy and his burden was light, but that yoke and that burden was the cross. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, how do you, it seems like two contra contradictory if you, things. If you really get into a lot of Taoism, it's very uh, paradoxical. Mm. It's always about like, uh, you can't fill up a jug unless it's empty. But the the value of a jug is is it, emptiness so that it can be filled up with something, right? Mm. So there's, there's tons of paradox in just like the Tao Te Ching and things like that. Um, I think that people, when they come to Taoism 
or they come to a book like um, the Tao of Boo and things like that, what they might be attracted to is just the sense of peace mm. that is being promised there, right? And you can get a lot of peace just by shedding all the crud, even before you get to Jesus. The problem is, is that people still need to keep moving to Jesus. And mm. so they, they stop too soon, you know, like if you get to a place where, cause you can, you can go and you can read a book like the Tao of Pooh and realize, wow, I'm just so convoluted. I'm just so, um, obsessed with all the details of life and, you know, it's really stressing me out. And if you can like shed yourself of all that rigmarole, you will absolutely feel a hundred times better. Right. Mm. Um, I would just encourage people to be like, that was pretty nice, wasn't it? Now imagine what you can be filled with now that mm. you haven't, now that you've emptied yourself out of all the crud, right? It's kenosis and then theosis. It's kenosis. Yeah. You have to, it's the emptying of kenosis before there's the, the filling of theosis or the, the divinization. And mm -hmm. it's about both. And that's why, and we've talked about kenosis in our um, Prince and the Popper episode when we talked about, a little bit about, um, well, it was probably mostly in that one actually. And I was almost thinking as you were describing like the attractiveness of the, of the dead sounded very much like Francis of Assisi in a, sure. in a lot of ways of the, oh, the monastic, know, utter poverty, the, the emptying of himself and how that became so attractive to so many. There's a reason why it's Eastern monks, Orthodox monks that this liter like, you know, wrote this book, the, the Tao mm -hmm. of Christ or Christ the Eternal Tao. You know, like, it's... And especially in the East, right? I'll just speak for the East here. Like, our our magisterium is is the monastics, right? Like, they are the, the crux, the linchpin, everything that we kind of take our cue from, or at least we're supposed to. Um, and, you know, as such, the reason why I have such a reputation for being kind of, like, mystical and kind of woo-woo and things like that is because a lot of that what someone like saint francis right or any any monk worth his salt i suppose you know salt of the earth mm. uh, um would be like uh, saltiness yeah yeah like yeah. they're going to they're going to exemplify a life of harmony and peace and tranquility and it's not like they don't work right and it's not like it's not hard work to just like travel around and just like walk the face of the earth insofar as it goes but it's the peace that transcends all understanding, right? To yeah. use St. Paul's language, um, that is being captured here. It's what Lao Tzu was trying to find and trying to give to his disciples without revelation. And it's what Christ does bring and does, does give to his disciples. To jump back over here, I mean, it was the wisdom that Socrates was searching for, truly searching for. True. Know? And True. so... It's it's in another it's another kind of facet of the the diamond or another angle, right? Just because we we kind of have already seen the parallels between the sort of like, um, you know, Greek or Western Civ for foundation with Socrates and Plato, and how they kind of were considered um, considered similarly to Tao Te Ching and the uh, or sorry Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching, um, and so you can kind of see how they they both are supposed to converge ultimately in Christ. Even though, right, 
it was sort of like they were trying to climb up the mountain themselves. Whereas the whole point of Christianity is we don't climb up the mountain ourselves. God comes down and carries us up. Yeah. One of the, if there's anything that we didn't cover enough in this conversation was more like the day type reality where like the grace filled, you know, you could, you could well, call it. Everything there was a sequel just like to the Tao of Pooh. Did you know that called the no, day of Piglet? The day of oh, Piglet. Really? It's actually, it's a longer, the yeah. So it sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking actually, funny you bring that up. Did you hear about the? Um, poo, oh, they made a weird, blood and they honey. Made a, yeah, 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 that's right. Well, if, we should we should watch that and do it. No, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I did hear about that though. Yeah. Well. Well, no. I mean, if you're satisfied, like I said, this is your baby. Do you want to? Hey, I mean, man, I was satisfied from the moment we hit play. You know, that's right. Just you were just we you were just here, right? Just being. Yeah. I'm that's, just being. that's that was enough for being. you. You know, Whereas I'm I so concerned up. with creating content. Up. There was a laptop set up. There was the microphone <laughs> and a and an empty chair. You and just I said, was like, did wow. one of your kids press the button for you? To, Could you not I even just had to sit down? <laughs> and you know what? To... This great conversation that just flowed out, man. It uh-huh. was trying to get a little Matthew McConaughey. You listen to that. All right, you... all right, all right, all right. Oh. He's got, there you yeah. go. The Dow of Matthew McConaughey. Book. Yeah. Dude, that's I not, want that's Matthew not McConaughey be reading the Dow Day on audio. Friend of the show. You forgot to say friend of the show. Yeah, Matthew friend of the show, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> needs to do an audio book of the Dow Day Ching. Christ, the eternal Dow. That would be, now that would Ooh, be the twist. That would be very impressive. You know, I promised yeah. that I would read the first chapter of the Dow Day Ching. Maybe we'll just kind of like roughly, you can Close say us out with it. Close, Close us out, out yeah. Yeah. I'm almost tempted to do it in a Matthew McConaughey voice, but maybe <laughs> you just go with whatever your inner voice, whatever, whatever's going to come out. All right. I'm not, yeah, gonna... whatever the inner voice, just live in the moment. That's right. Just, just be myself, man. Um, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The nameless is the beginning of heaven and earth. The name is the mother of 10,000 things. Ever desireless, one can see the mystery. Ever desiring, one can see the manifestations. These two spring from the same source, but differ in name. This appears as darkness. Darkness within darkness. The gate to all mystery. Yeah. Snap, snap. Just let that sink in. Yep, snap, uh-huh. snap. And a lot I, of apophaticism I, I wanna, going on there. I want to thank uh, thank our listeners for their receptivity for this episode. And nice. I want them to listen to their inner voice. And if the flow tells them to leave a positive review or a five-star rating, to please do that uh, so that um, Jacob can be justified in his decision for the topic for today's episode. And. <laughs> He and I might just let him pick another one. So yeah. if, if you know, don't if, be, if you can get some, don't be an uncarved if, block. Go ahead and and hit that like no, and subscribe. Think, think of this show as or the review section as an uncarved block, and you need to yeah put your imprint. You need to on carve it. that block, man. Carve that block so with your life. If there is a positive review that specifically <laughs> points out this episode, I will let Jacob pick more. How's that sound? Wow. Good luck with that. I'm the <laughs> benevolent overlord. Nice. Thanks for listening to Voyage Podcasts. The Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing, which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life. 
Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 